The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. As you gear up for the biggest game in the NFL season, Podcast One is teaming up with the Underdog Network to be your one-stop shop for all things football. As the big game draws closer, Chris Horwadell is joined by the Dan Patrick Show Danettes for their NFL postseason analysis. I, I, I don't disagree with you. This could be one of the ugliest games of football of all time, uh, which the Jaguars were already a part of one of those against the Colts this year, so we'll see True. if they replicate that. Check out the Underdog Network and the Dan Patrick Show every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. PFF NFL Podcast is brought to you by True Car. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you could do in about a minute? And get an offer on your car with True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you could do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. We are live on YouTube on a Monday morning. And, of course, hello to all of our podcast friends. It's time to recap Week 17, maybe the entire season for some people, Sam. Black Monday, Steve. Firings, bloodlettings. It's all happening. Everybody's getting canned. Everybody is to blame. We're here to dissect. Who's really to blame? Who's really to blame? Everything that just went wrong. All right, I don't even know where to go with all this thing because we've got we've got playoffs, we've got the Vikings. The Vikings is where we go. Okay. They're the biggest screw up of Sunday week 17. Really? Yes. They had a win and in game against the Chicago Bears who really didn't have much to play for. And they, they did blew though. It. The Bears played. Nah. They had Yep, yeah, they didn't really have much to play for. They had a potential buy. Yeah. Nah, potential. It was, the, it was contingent on the Rams blowing a game against that they were the never really going to blow. All right, let's discuss. All right, so we'll, we'll, we'll get to some of the blame game stuff, some of the Black Monday stuff, and then we'll talk about the teams that are still playing football as well. Yeah, okay, but we'll do more of that later in the week when we actually preview the games. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. All right, let's start with the Vikings then. Yes. So, we, Kirk Cousins, an $84 it. million dollar flop, Steve. Discuss. That's it. It's all his fault. 
All right, so how much of the blame? The easy take here yes. is that it's all Kirk Cousins. Kirk yes. is 5-25 and 25 against teams with winning records in mm-hmm. his career and all this stuff. By the way, I think there is a little something to that. But it, when we isolate Kirk Cousins on the Vikings from the rest of the team. By the way, our guys at George and Eric, before the season, they said under 10 wins for the Vikings yeah. is one of the best bets you can make if mm-hmm. you guys are into that thing, into that sort of thing. If you're into gambling, under 10 wins – and it was less about Kirk Cousins and more about the depth of the NFC that we've talked about all year, the poor offensive line that was unable to get fixed in the offseason, and just general regression on the defensive side of the ball. And I think all of that came to fruition. Yeah. So I, I don't, let's, before we go into this, I don't want to make the case that Kirk Cousins is blameless in all of this because he isn't, right? And if you pay the guy $84 million over three years, you expect a certain caliber of play. And honestly, it's been that running joke all the way through the season. This is the game that they paid him the big money to win, right? right. Yesterday, honestly, was the game. Right? Oh, yeah. it's, it, it got kind of out of control. It was two scores. It was the game that you needed Kirk Cousins to come back and execute a um, something of a comeback. Otherwise, the season's done, and he couldn't get it done. But that's not to say that you th- – this idea that they paid Kirk Cousins that amount of money, they expect a top-five quarterback – I think is wide of the mark. I don't think the Vikings were under any illusions that Kirk Cousins suddenly becomes Aaron Rodgers because they paid him $28 million a year. He's the same guy that he's always been, right? His PFF grade is going to be around 80 this year, which is basically what it's been all the way through his career. Um, And he's going to rank somewhere around 15th. In terms of quarterbacks. Yeah, anywhere from 10 to 15. Right, in which, a given again, year. is yeah. right in the middle of the lane that he's always been in, which is 10 to 20, somewhere in the middle of the pack amongst quarterbacks. You don't pay Kirk Cousins that money because you think Kirk Cousins is a great quarterback. You paid him that money because he is capable of executing a comeback or living with a high-powered offense in a shootout in a way they didn't think Case Keenum or Sam Bradford or Teddy Bridgewater were. That's what they paid him for. Now, that's not to say he's going to get that done every single week. And we've seen him at times this season not be able to get it done. But we've also seen him be able to get it done. The game against Green Bay where the kicker screwed him by missing three separate field goal attempts, etc. We have seen glimpses of what they paid Kirk Cousins. But his shortcomings this season are not amongst the highest problems the Minnesota Vikings face this season. The single biggest issue they've had all the way through this year and for a number of years now is a complete and total inability to form an offensive line that is capable of sustaining NFL-level play. Kirk Cousins yesterday was under pressure more in the Chicago Bears game than he was, was kept clean. 21-17? to 17 Yeah, at the moment. Pressure. We're still reviewing this game, so it could change by a snap or two here and there. But 21 snaps under pressure, 17 kept clean. That's not workable. You can't play quarterback at this level with that kind of pressure. It's just not possible over any sustained period of time. The Vikings' offensive line is horrendous. Pat Elfline is awful, got his ass kicked in that game. Mike Remmers, Tom Compton also got their asses kicked in that game. At least, at the very minimum, the interior trio of the Minnesota Vikings are all backup level. None of those guys are capable of starting. Left tackle Riley Reef, he's kind of borderline. He might get you eight games of average play, but when you come up against a top-level player, he's going to have problems. But, and then the one question mark is right tackle Brian O'Neill, who at the very minimum, 
has not shown some that he needs to be replaced yet. <laughs> that's right? the best thing you could say. He, yeah, he was a sort of developmental prospect who's been thrust into action early and has not looked horrendous. Right. He's basically the one out of the five that you don't know you have to upgrade upon yet. Riley Reef was supposed to be that creep back toward average you right. know, classic guy. Like, I don't hate be. the moves. I don't hate the moves that they made two years ago to bring in Riley Reef and to bring in Mike Rammers. Because we always talked about, well, you just got to get back toward average. Those guys were like the epitome yeah. of average I mean, tackles. Haven't been. And they have not been at all. So that's where essentially they've they've missed. I think Reef could potentially still be that if you had three better guys on the line. Like if the interior was fine, right. Brian O'Neill was your right tackle and Reef was essentially your weak link at left tackle, it would be workable. Like I say, I think his his form of average is is an interesting one because I think against like bad to average opposition he'll be fine it's just that when it goes bad it's going to go bad ugly yeah. you know a guy like Kilo Mack is just going to destroy him and it's not even going to be close and now Mack's in the division yes um, as of record time I mean they're going to have the most pressures allowed in the NFL no matter what happens yeah um, over 225 pressures allowed by the Minnesota offensive line this year just the offensive line yeah and about 28th 29th in per snap efficiency and anything over 200 is pretty catastrophic yes. over a season in an off on an in an offense that you know the offensive coordinator got fired because he wasn't running the ball enough and they were relying on the pass so you know they're relying on the pass blocking yeah. every time you drop back so centers don't give up pressure really over a season typically they're, Not a they're very rarely one-on-one with players they don't give up an awful lot uh, Pat Elfline gave up 33 total pressures this season. Rodney Hudson for the Raiders gave up five. Man, that's rough. Yeah. I, I think, so I think when you look at the Cousins breakdown, though, if you look at his career, right, he came out of this Washington system that's always been pretty good on play action. Play action is one of the most inconsistent things that you do as far as stats go. But as, if there's one thing we've learned from play action is your stats are almost always a little bit better. Like play action stats overall versus non-play action stats are better. Mm-hmm. And it's not as it, – sometimes it, we make it sound too simplistic. Like, oh, just, just run more play fakes. It's not that simple. But sometimes it kind of is, right? Cousins 28th in play action percentage in the NFL. Let me check out where he was in Washington in his, yeah, the, in his best season. You know, they were running reason, a lot more. There's very little reason to not run play action. You know? Yeah. Like, you don't need to whatever about the run how much and all it, that. Yeah, whatever about how much it helps, etc. There's very little reason to not be doing it. It's just part of defense or part of offense, rather. There were some years where he was that low in Washington, but regardless, when you run play action, whether the run is established or not, you're, you're just creating yeah. passing windows. You're moving linebackers. They have to respect it. They have to at least acknowledge that there might be a run here. Yeah, and that is one way. When you have a Kirk Cousins, who is a mid-tier quarterback, I mean, this is he's the same exact guy. He's probably going to land right at 15 in our grades yeah. for the season. Just dead smack right in there. When you have a mid-tier quarterback, you have to steal as much off the edges as you can, right. which is a little bit of extra play action, having good playmakers to make him look good, easier throws where playmakers can do things, quick throws to save, the, save him from the offensive line, that if, type of stuff. If you look at this offense from a personnel standpoint, there is very little difference between the Minnesota Vikings offense and the Pittsburgh Steelers offense, with the exception that one of those teams has maybe the best offensive line in the game, and the other one has one of the worst offensive lines in the game. From a personnel receiving personnel standpoint, it's pretty close. 
the Steelers have the better individual, but the Vikings might have a better group. Well, and Big Ben's a much better quarterback than a much better. But he's same overall. Not this year. He hasn't been this and year. He's he been ha- as volatile. They're very diff- they're very similar stylistically. But Big Ben has a much better foundation to work from. Um, running back personnel, the Vikings are every bit the match. It's just you've got one team with a great offensive line. You've got another team with a disaster. Um, so if you're talking about – so the, the, the point I would make, though, is that this idea that because the Vikings paid Kirk Cousins huge money, he should be a great quarterback is just wide of the mark, right? He signed for that huge contract because he was the first – the last quarterback available on the open market. That's just what happens. Right. Now, honestly – if anything, they got him for under market value. They paid less than the Jets were prepared to pay, and they paid less than uh, the the kind of ballpark contract everybody was talking about because they gave him a hundred percent of it guaranteed. It wasn't a thirty million a year deal. It was twenty eight. It gives them the kind of money to still spend on free agents and offensive linemen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They got the player they thought they were going to get in Kirk Cousins. He did come up short in a couple of key situations, but. If we're talking about a season autopsy on the Minnesota Vikings, primary cause of death is the offensive line, hmm. right? Secondary cause of death is the fact that the defense declined. Last year, Minnesota Vikings defense was the number one unit in the league. It was historically good on third downs. This year, it was not. It couldn't stop the Chicago Bears from running right up the middle on them all yesterday, and that was a huge problem. Whatever about the offense struggling, the Bears were able to just pound um, Jordan Howard right up the middle on key downs, and the Vikings couldn't stop him. That is a major problem. They've had some injuries. Um, they were playing without Eric Hendricks and Xavier Rhodes yesterday. That's an issue. But the Vikings' defense has not been anything like the unit it was a season ago. This was my fear about their defense. This was, uh, it reminds me a little bit of the 49ers back in 2011, 12, 13, where they, uh, 2011 and 12, really. They had that really good defense, and they wouldn't sub anybody out. It was just like the starters. They're 13 guys saw snaps on that team you know, for 11 spots. That's what the Vikings felt like the last couple of years. They had their starters where top to bottom, it was just as, as good as any team in the league, but the corner depth always worried me. If they had to tap into corner depth or linebacker depth or D-line depth like they'd had to this year, they didn't always have that next guy ready to go. I did feel like we saw some of that this year. Well, what's ironic is I think, the depth actually played pretty well. Like Mackenzie Alexander came on and he started playing well. really well down the stretch. Holton Hill, who if you told me earlier in the season, you know, Rhodes is going to go down, Holton Hill is going to come in and be one of your starting cornerbacks, I would have said that's a disaster waiting to happen. Holton Hill played pretty well. I actually think the depth held up pretty well. I just think we've reached a stage of the NFL now where you can't have the number one defense for three, four years running. It's, it's just not possible. Well, that's defense, also it's dependent on who you're playing is, is the point. It's dependent saying. on who you're playing, but I think it's what we've said all year long, that there is no dominant defense every single week. The best you can do is have a good enough defense that on any given week you can turn up well and be good. But I just, I, it's too hard to sustain quality defensive play against this relentless onslaught of offense I, don't, I think you might be able to catch fire for a season and be really good on third downs and just everything clicks. I, I just don't think you can sustain that for two, three years running. So if that's what built you... I mean, look at the Jags, right? Two best defenses last year, the Vikings and the Jags, both took massive steps back, neither of which had any major catastrophic holes in personnel from a season ago, certainly earlier in the year. 
both just fell off a cliff. You just cannot sustain that level of dominance for any period of time in today's NFL on defense. And both teams needed their defenses to essentially play at the same level as last year. Cause that's just what, to, yeah, because that's what carried them. Well, to if, carry their off, they need right. their offense. If carried. defense is what's carrying you to success in today's NFL, you, you, you have yeah. a major problem and a job to do in the offseason because your offense needs to hold up its end of the bargain. Let's wrap it up on Cousins a little bit. Um, if the Vikings were looking to upgrade their quarterback position over their last, what, three starting quarterbacks, which was Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Bradford, and then Case Keenum, did they do it? Is Kirk Cousins an upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Bradford, or Case Keenum, the I, three guys that they could have hypothetically brought back? It's, it's a hard question to answer, right? Because I think we said this way back in the offseason before they even signed him, that if you look at those three, if you look at those four guys last year, Case Keenum, you know, the, the, the peak grades of all those guys are about the same in PFF grades, right? They're all 80-ish, you know? So, mm-hmm. so if you're saying quality-wise, they're probably all about the same. Now, Kirk Cousins has durability benefits. Cousins over, is a step better than those guys, though. If he is, it's marginal, though. I think there's a very good case to be made that that definitely than Keenum. That, well, that's because Keenum regressed, right? No, that's Keenum what I'm was a one-year wonder. That's what I'm saying. Peak Keenum, last year's grade for Keenum, if you assumed that within the same situation you would get the same guy next year, which in and of itself was probably not true. But peak Keenum, peak Bradford, peak uh, Teddy Bridgewater, and then Kirk Cousins. Those three, I think those four are probably about the same level in terms of PFF grade. But... Cousins has done it for longer, so you're not expecting the regression you were getting with Keenum. He's, he's a durable quarterback. He's not got the injury history that a Bradford has, and you don't have the question mark of what exactly Teddy Bridgewater is after the knee injury, et cetera, et cetera. So ultimately, it's the so right I think move. he's probably about the same level as those guys. There's just way fewer question marks. Um, and then the other thing is I don't think that was the point was to necessarily upgrade overall. I think the point was... What happens when you get down two scores and the game plan changes and you have to bend the idea of the running game and it's all on the shoulders of the quarterback? They didn't think that those three guys could answer that, right? So the NFC Championship game, which very quickly went to hell and the Vikings are suddenly in a two-score hole, which became a three-score, four, whatever. In a big hole, you need a quarterback to bring you out of it. They knew that the three guys they already had could not yeah, overcome. Case that. Keenum's not making that right. Back, they right. think Kirk Cousins at least has the ability to do that. That doesn't mean he's going to do it every time. And in fact, it turns out he does quite a few does times. No he doesn't times. do it, but he has done it. Well, and that's what they pay. He for. hasn't done it that much, and this is this is the issue, right? So tertiary cause of death, Kirk Cousins. There you go. So he's he's number three. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's wrap it up on Cousins. But I do think there is. Something to the fact right now, this will be, I think, the third time in four years, his PFF grade is going to be much lower than his, ra- his standing and just natural passer rating. Um, he's going to be about 10th in pass. I think he was 10th in passer rating. So he does have this knack. So I think in isolation, in a one-year sample, we've been talking about this with Trubisky and Tannehill, your stats can look better than your grades, and you usually chalk it up to playmakers or luck or whatever it is. I do think Cousins has a knack for making his stats look good and still not making those those big comebacks that they need and step in making taking the chances that he needs and you know winning through the pass game he has a way of making himself look pretty good statistically i think that's the concern and that kind of shows up in the record little matthew staffordy stafford's got that similar stigma of not being able to beat good teams but he shows up well statistically over the last couple of years so i think that might be 
a little bit of a concern with Cousins. Yeah, yeah, I think he does have that knack. There is definitely, and we've talked before about he has that tendency to have those brain fart seizure plays where something just snaps and he does something horrendous. That's always going to feed into the narrative of, oh, he sucks, he's terrible. Only terrible quarterbacks would do that. It's like, yeah, but you know, the, the, if you looked up his big time plays this year, there are some phenomenal throws. Well, in there's there some great to ones. And Diggs to Thielen, like he made some incredible plays in addition to the terrible bonehead and, ones. And big picture view, we said this the whole season. First eight or ten weeks of the season, he's got a passer rating of over ninety, ninety five, hundred under pressure. He ends up the season at eighty three. We expected that regression. When you're under pressure that many times, over two hundred times, just from the offensive line alone. Mm-hmm. It's just unsustainable. And ultimately, an 83 passer rating was like sixth or seventh in the league. That's really good under pressure. It's unsustainable. That yeah. might even drop next year. So that's the thing is, when you, if you're the Vikings trying to build around him, from a mathematical standpoint, you just say, look, we have to keep him clean 5% more, 10% more, just to get the same production out right. of him next year. The and Vi- that's going to be the big question. The Vikings this offseason need, comp- need to attack their offensive line as hard as you could possibly attack it. They need to draft multiple offensive linemen they need to bring in multiple offensive linemen free agency they need to fix one of the worst units in the league because they don't have a quarterback that's good enough to overcome one of the worst offensive lines in the league russell wilson for years was able to overcome the terrible offensive line in seattle and now that he's actually got a better one suddenly he looks really good top eight quarterbacks can do that mid-tier quarterbacks like kirk cousins need the perfect ecosystem exactly that's what they need to focus on they, I mean, that has been their failing from a personnel standpoint for years now, and it's, this is one of the biggest off-seasons in that franchise for fixing that. All right, where else do we want to move here beyond? We spent a lot of time on the Vikings. Yeah. Where, where else do you want to move? Any other autopsies? Uh, who? Quick ones? Pittsburgh? Yeah, let's go to the Steelers here. A, a weird season for the Steelers, because I still think if they get into the playoffs, right. you know, look, I, 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 wrote, I, t- I taped this out last night on Twitter. I, Tweeted it even. Oh yeah, the AFC quarterback situation this year, last year to this year. Last year it was Brady, Roethlisberger, and then Alex Smith, Marcus Mariota, Blake Bortles, Tyrod Taylor. This year it's Brady again, both Mahomes, MVP Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, and that crazy offense, Philip Rivers, and now Andrew Luck. So if Big Ben was in there for Lamar Jackson, like Lamar still got question marks as a passer. Imagine if Big Ben was in the playoff picture. They're, you know, when you have, they're all top 10 quarterbacks production-wise. So if you have Big Ben in that mix, they're as dangerous as anybody. So weird year for the Steelers where they're a scary team if they're in the playoffs, but they're not in. Right. Um, and really it's just come down to the fact that, it, it, well, it's depending on which way you look at it, right? Either the fact that they randomly laid eggs against terrible teams, Oakland, etc. Yep. Or that they were just not quite able to beat a couple of good teams. You know, they lost a really close game to the Saints. They lost to the Chargers. Right. Um, you know, depending on which, which way you want to focus, they've either nobody but themselves to blame because they really should be beating Oakland, or they were just not quite good enough to get it done against teams that they're going to have to beat if they get to the playoffs anyway. But those games showed that this team is well capable of beating those teams if they got to the playoffs. I, I think the AFC ended up being as chaotic as the NFC in terms of pretty much any of the teams that get in there can make some noise. Yeah. Um, like the Chargers are one of the best teams. They're in as a, a wild card. Because well, they all have viable quarterbacks and reasonable right. defenses. The Ravens, we've Kansas said, City. are a horrible matchup for most of these high-powered offensive teams. And then the Steelers, had they made it, I think could go toe-to-toe 
with any of those high-powered passing teams and have shown, at least against the Patriots, that they're capable of crafting a one-off game plan to stop them. Now, they right. only did it once, but they've at least shown they're able to. I, I haven't run numbers on the Steelers' schedule, but it looks different. I mean, when you just look at it, right, it's a pretty difficult schedule because they had to play the AFC West, which included the Chiefs and the Chargers mm-hmm. this year, of course. And then when you're playing the first-place schedule... You have to play New England, and you have to play Jacksonville, who won their division. Now, they won both of those games, but the, the grind of they lose to the Raiders, which was their own fault. That's yes. bad, right? But it's at Oakland, you know, whatever. But then the next week, they had to play New England and New Orleans, right? And they put everything into beating the Patriots, and then had to come back the next week and go to New Orleans and try to beat them in the Dome. It's just a tough schedule. In the AFC West, when they had to play Denver, they had to play them on the road. They lost there. Um, you know, they did a good job in the, against the NFC South because on paper, going against the Falcons, the Panthers, and the Saints and Bucks, you know, those aren't, uh, those aren't easy games. The Bucks gave them a really good game. Um, they had to play the Ravens twice, you know, so in, in, the, in the Browns with Baker once and with Tyrod the other time. So, look, it's not an easy schedule. Um, right. I mean, they put up 37 points against the Chiefs, came off second best. They, you know, came off a 33-30 loss to the Chargers. Like, it is, it is a tough schedule. Um, all right, I like this system, right? Primary cause of death for the Pittsburgh Steelers this year, Steve. Honestly, I think, I, think there was some, I think there was some Roethlisberger regression that hurts them. You want to know if you were... Le'Veon Bell? No, 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 no. Not doing that. But... Uh, with the final games still to get reviewed, etc., Kirk Cousins has a higher grade than Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, so the, this is where I don't know if it was all Big Ben. So it depends on how you look at it. Big Ben, from a positively graded throw standpoint, I think was I think ended up top five. So when you talk about a value add guy, right. extremely good. But if you look at the throws that he missed this year, mm-hmm. and this is where this is important, while we say his playmakers helped him a lot, he had so many open throws that he missed this year, meaning his guys were getting open. He threw for over 5,000 yards, and it could have been way better. right? So the yeah. production ended up getting there, but it, just, it was very inefficient along the way. Big Ben had a ton of turnover-worthy plays, got away with a bunch, th- still threw a bunch of key interceptions, and he had the highest percentage of, hit, of misses in years. So, yeah, I know but, it's tough to add up directly from... Uh, you don't have it. But time, how but. much is that... I mean, how much... How different is the perception, right? It's Kirk Cousins is an $84 million flop. He's been a disaster. He's the reason the Vikings are sitting at home. And who is talking about Big Ben being the reason the Steelers are sitting at home? Roethlisberger has a worse grade we threw for 5, than Kirk Cousins. Sam. He has a worse grade than Matthew Stafford, who people are talking about being a disaster this year. He's got a worse grade than Andy Dalton. Um, like, Roethlisberger was not good this year. He is the reason that Antonio Brown had a down year. Like, he was just missing Antonio Brown, an absolute yeah. ton. Now, the Antonio Brown down year talk has gone away a little bit as well because he got a bunch of touchdowns. But Antonio Brown's grade this year has been a disaster compared to the previous seasons because Roethlisberger was missing him. And you can't, you, know, you can't get a good grade, essentially, without the quarterback helping you out on the back end because he's the guy putting the ball where you need to get it. So I think a big part of it is you look at Roethlisberger's grades week one through five, they were bad. He, yeah. was, he was among the bottom you know, four or five quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks in the NFL. He did get better down the stretch, you know, did have a bunch of good games. But even the Oakland game, he made the big comeback with injury. 
the grades were showing him throwing the ball through defenders that were getting caught for touchdowns. So the ultimate production got there. Um, so, I, so, th- so here's the thing. That's why I don't think Big Ben himself, I don't think the bad grade hurts the team that much. Hmm. As much as, as, because the ultimate production got there because Juju stepped up and was great. Right. And because Vance McDonald stepped up and was great. The other thing that's, that differentiates Cousins, so while the grades are similar, average to meh, um, Kirk Cousins was among the five most pressured quarterbacks in the NFL. Roethlisberger was the least pressured quarterback in yeah, the NFL. A much better situation. So again, we, like we said before, the, there isn't that much difference between those two offenses, except one has the best offensive line in the league, the other one has a terrible one. And this year, the, the quarterback situation was pretty much the same, except Roethlisberger made more big-time throws, but then he also had a dramatically better platform to work from. I still think ultimately, and that's fair, ultimately it's still their defense. So you're going Which, primary cause of death, the defense? Yeah, because when they needed the defense, Saints 31 points and Chargers 33 points, and they, they had a great game against New England. You know, they, 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 figured, they figured that out. Well, they threw everything 42. at that. But like when they had, essentially, yes, they put everything into the Patriots game plan that week. Both when they had to shut down a good offense, and this is what we're saying, defense is often dependent on who you're playing. What can you do to slow down the Chiefs? They couldn't. Mahomes had six touchdowns against them. They couldn't slow down the Saints when they needed to. They couldn't slow down the Chargers when they had that huge lead. Ultimately, it's this defense, um, kind of similar to the Patriots. They pretty much do a good job beating up on bad QBs and bad situations. But when they face the good guys, very rarely are they throwing out that New England game where they played well. Yes, that is true. Um, If you were identifying the problem with the defense, what would you say it is? I still think it's on the back end. They so, started to get more, like Watt was really good. J, TJ Watt was really good getting pressure in the second half of the season, but they don't get pure edge pressure the way the really good Steelers defenses did back in the day. It was James Harrison and Lamar Woodley, right, consistent three, pressure off the edge. Three first-round picks into this, only one of them has turned out okay. Right. Bud Dupree still has an issue and all that stuff, but still like on the back end, inconsistency from Sean Davis. I know Terrell Edmonds was better than we expected, but still not worth really a first-round pick just yet. Um, Joe Hayden did some nice things, which was great. But when you had to throw Cody Sensabaugh out there, you know he was up and down. There's too many questions on the back end. Already yeah. Burns struggled when he was out there. There really isn't enough talent on this defense. And when you face the best teams or the best offenses in the NFL, it's typically exposed. You've also got to question the fact that their defensive coordinator didn't appear to know who he was about to face in Week 17. He was uh, concerned about how they were going to cover Tyler Eifert. Both Tyler's. Who'd been on IR. Yeah, so we were like... Oh, you know, he obviously well, the, just misspoke. The I mean, Steelers, half the Bengals roster is called the Tyler. The Steelers.com guy took the blame for a bad interview and setting him up with well, he would, bad research. Well, he wouldn't he? Steelers.com? Well, it was a bad interview. It was, it was poorly researched. Well, I'm I've just saying. I've made mistakes before in my life, too, but that was, that was a poor one. Right. It, so it, so we, we were like, oh, it's obviously, you know, half the Bengals offense is called Tyler. He obviously meant... Tyler Croft, the replacement for Tyler Eifert, also on IR. Okay, maybe you meant Tyler Boyd, receiver in the slot, been credible this season, also on IR. There was no actual Tyler who was healthy at that point in the season who could have played in Week 17. So it was basically an unsavably bad mistake. Now, the idea that, okay, he wasn't the guy that brought it up. He didn't unprompted say, yeah, this Tyler Eifert guy is going to be a problem. Somebody asked him about Tyler Eifert. So, yes... The Steelers guy, the Steelers.com guy, screwed up in that he asked him about a guy who wasn't healthy. Having said that, 
you would kind of expect the guy preparing to face that opposition to say, oh, I'm going to stop you there, Chief. Uh, Tyler Eifert's been on IR for a couple of months. You would expect it. And yeah. his replacement, Tyler Croft, also on IR. And, in fact, the other Tyler in that offense, Boyd, also on IR. So I, we, we just, I, I can't do anything with that question. <laughs> but, no, he rolled with it and just said, yeah, well, that's going to be an issue. Wasn't good. It's going to be an issue. So I, I would say cause of death for the Steelers was more the defense. But, but legitimately, that, that plays into those games like the Chargers game where Keenan Allen in the slot is like kryptonite. They don't know what to do with it. Yeah, them. they had linebackers covering him the right. entire time. And I get that you might roll into a game that way, but you, you know that's an issue coming in and you'd make an adjustment because you had a game plan for it. If you don't know who the opposition is or what they do, like how, how, how are you supposed to stop them? Cause of death defense. Primary cause, an egg, primary cause of death. Laying an egg against the Oakland Raiders. Secondary cause of death. Secondary. Tertiary? That's Big Ben. Big Ben. Because they, okay. as, as well as he played down the stretch, struggles early in the season. That's when they were losing games and tying games. Better Big Ben play and they're in the right. playoffs. So Big Ben, the same tertiary cause of death as Kirk Cousins. Just like Kirk Cousins. Yeah, They're perfect. the same guy. Excellent. What about the Atlanta Falcons? Wow, yeah. Cause of death, Atlanta Falcons. Cause Defense. Yeah, the complete and total inability to cover anybody. So if you're if you're looking at them from a you know high end view here, they covered extremely well in Week One <laughs> against Nick Foles. Yes, they did in Philadelphia. Um, since then, though, since Week One, yeah, that's when they got torn up. You know, giving up 43 to the Saints in week three, 37 to the Bengals in week four. I understand every last point's not on the defense, but look at these point totals. 41 against the Steelers, 29 against the Bucks in a win, uh, 28 against the Browns, uh, 31 against the Saints again on Thanksgiving night, 34 against Green Bay, just gave up 32 yesterday against the Bucks. But then, like, all, you know, like these other mid-tier to poor defenses, you could sneak some good games in there. So when you play Josh Rosen in the poor Arizona Cardinals, you give up only 14, including a defensive touchdown, right? So, like, so they did a pretty good job there. Gave up 14 against Alex Smith and the Redskins. That was still Alex Smith that, that week, right? So, yeah, they snuck in a couple decent games in there, but that defense overall could not cover. No. Primary cause of death for the Falcons. Inability to cover. Inability to cover. Um, yeah. They remained one of the worst teams for us to predict anything for. because So, look, they lost Deion Jones top two, three coverage linebacker in yes, the NFL. big problem. You got regression on the back end from guys like Robert Alford. Robert Alford had this knack for just, you know, sitting around league average. He's below average this year. Um, pass rush was inconsistent. So this roster that they've been building that looked good in a whole bunch of spots, young players on the D-line, young players at linebacker, pretty solid players in the secondary. But, you know, Keanu Neal injury just – Things started to fall apart on this defense that looked like it was in really good shape coming into the season. It did. Um, I, I think the Deion Jones loss was a major one. Yeah. Like I was talking help his return for about a month. Um, disappointed. Which, yeah, he did. Kept continually disappointing me. Um, but he's a guy that can change defenses. He changes schemes. He's got that kind of range, that ability to completely adjust things. And when he's not there, it is a major loss because the cornerbacks, the secondary guys are not quite good enough um, to overcome that. So, yeah, I think that was a big one. Um, definitely the primary cause of death for this team. Yeah, and, you know, offensively, if you remember the start of the season, they couldn't score in the red zone. What's wrong with Matt Ryan in the red zone and blah, blah, blah. And then they figured it out. They made some adjustments. Um, in the red zone, they started scoring a little bit better. 
Uh, Matt Ryan ended up having a good year. You know, again, he keeps uh, teetering back and forth between us telling you guys he's playing better than the stats would show. He's playing worse. He's playing better. He's playing worse. He didn't play as well as the stats would show this year. But the ultimate production was good because of Julio Jones, Muhammad Sanu, and what Calvin Ridley brought to the table. Can I give you another one? Um, in addition to just a basic inability to cover people, if you're not going to take advantage of opportunities when they present themselves on defense, that's going to be an issue. The Atlanta Falcons this season had 13 dropped interceptions, that's which huge. was the most in the NFL. So that's why ultimately their coverage grades weren't horrible. You know, they got in position to do things. But when you can't get the just if you make that six, if you cut that in half yeah. and you have six or seven of those that you catch that are turnovers and you're killing drives and you're giving your offense more of a chance, obviously that's going to change a lot of things too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's those are the single greatest stat that everybody always knows that's you know bears relation to actually winning and losing games is the turnover margin. Right. And if you're not going to catch the passes that are thrown your way, that's going to be a problem. That has been an absolute issue. The offensive line took uh, a step back when it comes to pressure percentage. Matt Ryan was pressured the 17th highest uh, 17th highest pressure rate in the NFL. That's I'm sorry, that was last year's. He was 17th. Let me check out this year's. Okay. Yeah, you do that. But that's, the offensive line grades were uh, were way down. This year, you're 17th again. How about that? Huh. So the pressure percentage wasn't as bad, was the same, but the grades were lower, meaning pressure's coming quicker. So primary cause of that's death, total lack of ability to cover anyone and dropping the picks when you were in position. Secondary cause of death? That's it. That's one answer. That's it? Just, prim- just, just the cause of death? That's one The answer. only cause of death for the Falcons was their defense and their coverage. Can I also just chalk it up to the depth of the NFC? Sure. I mean, you got to play the Saints twice. You had to play the Eagles. You what know, about coming off their high? Had to go to Pittsburgh. What about secondary cause of death, Matt Ryan playing outside? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Outdoor Matt Ryan. There you go. Oh, he saved it a little bit yesterday in Tampa Bay. Well, that doesn't I got to see what the Tampa final... Bay. It's so not he, true outside? True. His grade in outdoor games, which it was about seven of them, I believe, six or seven, was... Low 60s tops. I got to rerun the numbers. Yeah. Low 60s PFF grade when he was right around 90 play, playing indoors. Yes. Huge drop off. So six, seven games out of the season. And I throw away the Tampa Bay game because that's Florida outdoors. That doesn't really count. It's true. Unless it's torrential rain. How many outdoor games? One. So at, at Philadelphia, Matt Ryan was not good. At Pittsburgh, Matt Ryan, horrible again. Key fumble at the end. Uh, at Washington, he had four touchdowns that traveled an average of one yard in the air. So he had four <laughs> touchdowns that had nothing to do with him. Didn't necessarily play well that game, but they won. At Cleveland, Matt Ryan was not good. Where else? At Green Bay, Matt Ryan was not good. Had a pick six. Uh, at Carolina in week 16, he was okay. And then at Tampa Bay yesterday. But like the season was over by the time you know, he yeah. solved his outdoor right. issues. Who else is the biggest deserving of an autopsy, a postmortem on their season? Oh, let's see. Let me give you some candidates, and you can tell me which one we're going to go with. Green Bay. Uh, Green Bay. Tennessee obviously just blew theirs last night. Um, Washington, I guess. They're less interesting. Or Carolina, who you know you've, you wrote off when they were 6-2. Carolina six, is, six two. is what, they, what I thought they were. I think Green Bay is the interesting one. Um, I also think the Giants are at least worth a discussion oh, i bet you do so let's go to the packers autopsy on the packers yep um the defense under mike Patton did not take the step forward that they thought 
we talk about Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins being the only two guys. Grant, there are other guys grading well in the Green Bay offense, but if you look at the receiver grades, it's Devontae Adams and no one else. Yeah. And Rodgers had this incredible season of he made a lot of good throws. He didn't make a ton of disastrous throws, but he didn't have, we talk, he didn't have a lot of value-add throws, so positively graded throws. We talk about Big Ben. You know, If you're going to get to this mid-tier grade, you better do it by adding a ton of value. So if you're, if you're missing one out of every three throws, it's not great. Like You want to play better than that or one out of every two throws, but if you're, if you're moving the chains, you can offset it a little bit. That's Big Ben, so it doesn't feel as bad. Rodgers didn't have that. He had key misses at the wrong times. Um, so the overall grade was good, but a million throwaways. He didn't trust the scheme. So I think, even though he graded well, he left a ton of value on the table. Either not playing within the scheme, not trusting his receivers, taking too many sacks, he left a ton of potential value and production on the table. Yeah. But the primary cause of death has to be on the other side of the ball. Yeah. I think injuries took a real hammer to this team. Yeah. Um, and they, again, were forced into depth pretty quickly and didn't have the depth. Like they, right. So they're, uh, they're a bit like the Falcons, and I think their primary cause of death was coverage, um, but for a different reason. Like I think the Packers relied on a lot of very young players, and they flashed a lot of ability. You know, guys like J- Jair Alexander, their first-round corner, Looks like he could be a potential star going forward. Yeah. Um, but he was also exposed at times, as you'd expect for a rookie cornerback. Yeah, it right. happens, right? Now, this has happened to Green Bay before. They drafted a couple of young cornerbacks a few years ago in Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins. And both those guys as rookies had some really impressive plays and flash and looked like they, could, they would be stars going forward. They graded well in limited sample size. And... Then that just fell off a cliff. Now, the big question for Green Bay going forward is what happens to their young players next time? Do yeah, they the, do the same thing, or do these ones actually pan out? The warning there that we always try to give fans is that player progression is not the way it is in Madden. Right. Oh, he's a 78 this year. He'll go plus two. Then he'll go plus three. He'll hit his peak in year. It doesn't always just go linear. You know, they get better. Um, I do like J.R. Alexander. I do like Josh Jackson. We liked them coming out. We, we like their future. But they've invested a ton at the corner position, which, by the way, is the right way to, move, to build a team. We, yeah. we talk about this, right? You just keep, keep throwing resources at cornerback. But Kevin King was this high upside type of guy two years ago, only plays 304 snaps. He gets banged up and everything, and he's not great when he's on the field. They've thrown a ton of resources at the cornerback position, and right now it looks like J.R. Jair Alexander has the best future. That was their first round pick this year, but there's a lot of question marks, you know, around him. And the linebacker position pretty much continues to be uh, a major issue for them. Blake Martinez, when when healthy and on the field, does some nice things, but um, they haven't had a really good linebacking core for a while. But the thing we liked about them was the potential of having Muhammad Wilkerson help, and he only played 115 snaps. Kenny Clark took that next step, but the idea. Mike Daniels took a little bit of a step back and only played 419 snaps. The idea coming in was that, oh, Kenny Clark, Mike Daniels, a rejuvenated, motivated Muhammad Wilkerson is going to aid that young secondary. And other than Kenny Clark, we didn't really see that this year. Yeah, and it looked like it could. Um, Wilkerson played well before he went down. Um, and yeah. then, was, then injury robbed. Again, like I said, injury robbed them of a potentially very significant playmaker on the defensive line. 
Um, I think that would have panned out pretty well. And he was a guy who was kind of vital to that uh, Petten-style scheme back with the Jets, a right. guy that could move across the line, play every one of those positions along that defensive front and be a really disruptive player. And we just didn't get to see it because they, they, we got robbed of him. And like, same kind of story um, on offense, which is it was Devontae Adams, and then we had to cycle through all the rookie wide receivers. And we just didn't get to see the we didn't get to see Rodgers build up any kind of trust level and chemistry with anybody outside of Devontae Adams. Devontae was spectacular. I was looking at some numbers recently, too, as far as because we track all this stuff. Single coverage, how many times was he targeted when he was open? Devontae Adams, most in the league. Um, so I do think. A lot of people like to blame Mike McCarthy for this whole thing, right? It's his scheme. It's too conservative and all this stuff. And we have posed the question, what if it was Aaron Rodgers? I think it's okay to have a nuanced discussion about this, right? I think Aaron Rodgers was to blame for some of the stuff. I'm sure Mike McCarthy and just, you know, a stale offense was part, to, was part to blame. I don't think the solution, while I think Rodgers is a fantastic quarterback to build around and every good offensive coordinator should want to work with him in Green Bay, I also don't think that just getting the next creative offensive mind in there is this perfect quick fix, you know, that you, know, you just you get Rodgers back up to throw in 50 touchdowns and all that stuff. You know, I don't know that it's going to be that easy. I think Rodgers was to blame for some of this stuff. The Packers are going to be one of the most fascinating teams in 2019 because whoever comes in, you have to assume that they're going to have some kind of new vision for the offense. And we're going to see two things. One how prepared Aaron Rodgers is to uh, accept somebody else's ideas. This right. is what I want to do. This is what the offense is going to need to look like. This is how you need to play within it. First of all, how willing he is to do that. And secondly, what that looks like. Yeah. Like Rodgers being bent into some other offense, what, were, what does Aaron Rodgers look like uh, outside of this Mike McCarthy offense and in this new idea scheme? Or if we're going to start to see you know what, actually next year he is a there's, significant part of the issue. There's some nuanced stuff to this too because remember when, um, when McAdoo left Green Bay and went to the Giants right? and he completely changed just like Eli's stance in the shotgun. Oh, we got to go left foot in front of right foot. We, so he changed his stance. There's some footwork, nuanced stuff that is in this McCarthy-McAdoo offense that is very different from the rest of the NFL. And it was a lot of quick hitters, slant flat, and maybe they overdid it with some of the stuff, but there's a lot of things that are different. I wonder how much the new offensive coordinator comes in and says, all right, we'll keep the same footwork, but you know, we're going you know, to run more five-step instead of three. You know, I'm just very curious to know how this, how this goes. But uh, primary cause of death, do we call it injuries yeah. or just defense? Uh, I would roll with injuries. I think they lost a lot of talent. Overall, and injuries really hurt them. Secondary, secondary cause of death. Secondary, yeah. Se- <laughs> secondary was the secondary cause of death. And I don't think Rogers is the cause of death. I think the passing game as a whole just deserves blame. Yeah, the inefficiency of the passing game. A little bit of Rogers' fault, but he still graded really well. I mean, when you get that PFF grade and you're able to make those big time throws and not turn the ball over, like you should be efficient. But the inability to just find positive plays and positive plays and positive plays wasn't there. And that's a receiver and quarterback issue in my mind. Right. I mean, the idea that Jimmy Graham was going to come in, catch 10, t- 10 touchdowns just because of the red zone skills he has and Rodgers hitting him with those back shoulder throws. Jimmy Graham was a disaster this year. Two touchdowns. He had 55 catches, but he was he graded poorly. Didn't look 
like the you know the player he's been in the past. He did look like the guy who was done up in Seattle, but at least Seattle yeah. figured out that he could just be a jump ball weapon in the red zone. He couldn't even do that this year. Um, that connection didn't work. So it really was just Rodgers to Adams and whatever they could fashion on the ground with Aaron Jones, etc. Yeah, yeah, the passing game was poor, and it wasn't. It obviously wasn't just Rodgers, but yeah, tertiary cause of death, the listless passing game. All right, let's do one more autopsy. All right, that good? Giants. Okay. All right, the New York Giants. Why did they only win? Was it six games? Five. Because uh, they're not good. Well, they win five or six. Five. Okay, five. Because I met. So, because we talk about preseason bets, um, we liked the Falcons. Um, we were uh, over. We didn't like. Uh, we 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 nailed the Vikings under. Um, the Giants. We liked their under. We liked them under seven. Um, if for nothing else, just playing in in the loaded NFC is going to make it difficult. There's no sign that Eli Manning was going to take a step forward at quarterback. And as well, it, I don't know how to phrase this any better. Like Saquon Barkley was a spectacular running back this year. But it, it, when you have no other supporting cast, it doesn't move the needle. Yeah. So um, you, can have, you can have mid-tier Kirk Cousins and win eight games, nine games or whatever. And you can have spectacular Saquon Barkley. But if you have a bad quarterback, you're at five wins. You yeah. Know, that's, that's the issue. So there was... There was a certain degree of speculation as to what Eli Manning would look like in 2018 with Pat Shermer's offense coming in, given what he just did in Minnesota, with the weapons that now surround him. We've got Saquon, we've got Odell Beckham, we've got Sterling Shepard, we have uh, Evan Ingram, we've got talent in this offense, we've got weapons for him to throw to. Um, We've just seen what Pat Shermer was capable of doing to Case Keenum and the Vikings, who themselves didn't have a good offensive line last year. There was the idea... That Shermer took a look at Eli himself. First thing he did in the building, watched every throw from Eli from 2017 and said, Eli still got it. I can work with this, right? So at the very minimum, it was this unanswered question heading into the season of how much better could Pat Shermer make Eli look given all these weapons? The answer has been not at all better. And in fact, if anything, worse. So Eli Manning's grade this season is 65.5, which is... Uh, slightly lower than 2017 and slightly higher than 2016, but basically continues the downward trend we've seen for the past decade since his 2011 season, which was his best. So we've got 2011, really good, elite. 2012, very good. And then a steady downward spiral from 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Basically, at this point, the question is answered. Eli Manning has declined he is done. He is not capable of being a top-quality quarterback, and you need a new one, right? Now, you didn't take one last year, which most people would suggest was the move, but whatever. You now need one. The very minimum. The, the, the team has answered that. Um, but he had a 91.6 passer rating. So when you look at things in isolation... So did everybody. A, but that's the thing. When, it, when you were looking at it in isolation, you're like, wow, there was a point where Eli's putting up the best numbers of his career. Um, he finished with a 91.6 passer rating, 23rd yeah. in the NFL. Right. And his PFF grade is going to land even lower than that as far as pure rankings go. Ryan Tannehill had a 92.7 passer rating, and he was terrible. He was our lowest-graded quarterback right. in the NFL. Um, this is the year. So this is the thing about offense these days is through scheme and through playmakers and stuff, despite the offensive line and the, with the Giants, we'll talk about how bad they were as well, but... Um, if you have the good enough playmakers, if you have Odell Beckham carrying you, you could put up 
some decent numbers. Right. Eli still has some pretty good throws in the bag. It's just the consistent that that's the thing. This is he's very similar to Josh Rosen. So earmuffs, Arizona Cardinals fans. I still think Rosen has some high end play in him. Yeah. But Eli throughout his career, he throws a nice ball. He does NFL things really well. The Jameis has some of this too. These all these volatile quarterbacks. They all do NFL things. Like watch if I could pull out Eli's best throws from this year and you're like, wow, this guy still has it. I could see if Shermer's watching the right plays, I could see him saying that Eli still has it. Yeah, is that fair? Apparently he watched all of his plays. Okay. Well, if you pull out the right ones, he still has it. He throws with anticipation. He has enough arm to get it out there sometimes. It's just not consistent. He's got touch. He throws the seam. He does all these things. Red zone accuracy, right? If you look at the right ones, you're like, hey, Eli still has it. But sometimes when the, just like a good thrower of the football can kind of like, you know, mask his deficiencies, there's far too many turnover-worthy plays. His, yes. his interception luck was ridiculous. Where did he finish in? Turnover worthy throws. I see you got it. He had twenty five of them, which was the most by the most. five. Twenty five. Yet he only threw twelve interceptions. So he had a ton of interception luck. Um, he still doesn't have the consistent accuracy outside the numbers or down the field that he that he had in his peak seasons. Um, so quarterbacks not about your high end plays. It's about the how often. How often do you do you have those high end plays? Like Big Ben has a ton of high end plays, so you can deal with some of the misses. Eli just doesn't have enough of those high end plays. Right. So ignore the fact that he threw for f- almost 4,299 and 21 touchdowns and 91.6 passer rating. He was a well below league average quarterback. Well, that, I mean, so that, that explains your disparity between passer rating and, you know, great, is that he had 11 interceptions, which is a pretty good number. It's lower than most quarterbacks in the NFL, but he led the league in turnover worthy plays by five, which means an absolute ton of those plays that should have been turned over. Right. We're not because we saw defenders dropping passes. You know, the Falcons with their 13 dropped interceptions. Those are plays that are objectively terrible by the quarterback. And over the long haul, they will cost you badly. But you didn't get punished for them on this occasion. Right. We are grading those as if they were turnovers because the fact that they weren't had absolutely nothing to do with the quarterback. He basically put the ball in a defender's hands and therefore deserves a terrible grade whether the defender caught it or not. It's also so, like... It's also how these games come about. He has a disastrous game against Tennessee. I know, there's, I know it was raining, but it was well worse than you're expecting the quarterback to throw the ball in the rain. Struggled against Chicago despite them pulling that out. Struggles against Washington, against Philadelphia, against New Orleans at home uh, in what was a tight game. So there's just too many below-average games. He kind of had a Bortlesy season. Bortlesy. Like if you just, if you just sort, like if I sort by his best games, there's six games, seven games in there. We played pretty well. And there's, there's enough games in there, just like a Bortles, where you're like, oh, he's a reasonable NFL quarterback, but it's a 16-game schedule. Good quarterbacks mitigate the bad games, and they only have maybe two, three, four, five of them at, at most. So, primary cause of death for the New York Giants. Eli? They just don't have a good enough quarterback. Okay, let me start with Eli, but I also think that the defense was just... Yeah. Well, here's Not the good. thing, right? So the point we're always trying to make is that Saquon Barkley has been fantastic. I actually think Saquon Barkley has been better as a rookie than most people thought he would, even the people that thought he was special. Um, but the point has always been that he cannot play well enough for it to be the right decision to take him a two over a quarterback. Like he's just not like, The best he could do was be... Uh, a higher volume version of Alvin Kamara a year ago. And I think there's actually an argument to say he 
kind of was. He was like close. He was, he was pretty close to being as good as Kamara was, only on dramatically more snaps. But even that value is still QB dependent. And that's the point, is that he can't play well enough. There is nothing he could do for it to be the right call to take him over a quarterback and number two. And the people defending it would say, well, why would you not get a generational talent like Saquon Barkley and take the quarterback the next year? And then, you're, then you have the best of both worlds. And the answer is because the best quarterback next year just said, you know what, screw the NFL. I'm going to stay in college for a year, and I'm happy at Oregon. Well, here's the so other Justin issue, Herbert go back to college, and now you're left what? What's the plan now? Let's look at it at a very extreme view. Even if Herbert doesn't go back to – let's say Dwayne Haskins. Let's say they get Dwayne Haskins, and he ends up being pretty good. Okay. The issue is – the, the finding of the quarterback is the most important thing. Yes. So if your option was, it, I, could find Sam, I could draft Sam Darnold, and let's say in year one, he's not even the guy. And then in year two, you have another top pick, and you draft Dwayne Haskins. Very extreme. You've just drafted Sam Darnold and Dwayne Haskins back-to-back years. Those two picks are far more important that you just hit on, what you, that you can up your odds to hit on one of those two. And then to replace Barkley's production, as awesome as he is, is much easier to do. Yeah. Because there's Philip Lindsay's of the world who go undrafted. But there's Nick Chubbs who yeah. go in the second round. So finding the That's quarterback the is the most important thing. And the issue is um, the issue is maximizing the percentage that you're actually going to do that with where you're doing it. So the reason taking Saquon at two and then finding the quarterback next year is a terrible idea is you don't know what position you're going to be in in the next year and how the lay of the land is going to be. Right. So now... Like, where are the Giants in the draft order right now with five wins? Well, they're in the top ten, but they're probably five, six, right. seven. So they're right. not – last year they were number two, right? That was the highest position they'd been since 1981. So they were not going to repeat that and get a number two pick again. You also had five, six quarterbacks, depending on who you listen to, that people thought were potential franchise guys, right? Six on- right now, I think. Only yeah. one of whom you weren't going to have the shot at. Right? If you assume the Browns take one at one, you would then have the choice of any of the remaining top-level quarterbacks. Right. Now, you're six overall, and who knows what's left. The top quarterback on everybody's board, most people's boards, is going back to school. So you may have one quarterback that anybody that needs a quarterback is shooting for. If somebody takes him number one, you're screwed. You, I mean, you've no option. You're, at, you're back to, well, okay... I don't think any of these guys is the option, but I have to take one because I just boxed myself into a corner. So it's just a bad way of doing it. You had a uniquely good opportunity to take a franchise quarterback, and the only way it makes no sense whatsoever is if you said, I believe there's only Baker Mayfield from this draft as a franchise quarterback. The rest of them are all non-viable, and even then it's probably worth taking the shot in case you're wrong, such is the importance of the quarterback position. So that's the thing, because the the pushback we've gotten is, well, Sam Darnold hasn't proven anything this year. And he hasn't. Josh Rosen hasn't. But just like the the upside of hitting is so much greater than the risk of missing. That's the issue. If you hit on Darnold, it's just it's worth so much more. Darnold right now has probably not been any better than Eli. And I think if he was with the Giants this year, they would probably be in the same situation. They would probably be a five-win team because the quarterback wasn't good enough. But, but he's I a 21-year-old that right. could get better. And looks like he will. And probably like we've will. seen him improve already as a right. rookie. The point is, if you ended up this season 5-11, and 11, let's say even worse. Let's say because of Saquon, 
they because of no Saquon, it somehow mattered to the point of a couple of wins, right? Yeah. Let's say they won three games. Now they're sitting somewhere near the top of the draft, having had a terrible season but secured their franchise quarterback of the future. Now you've got the number three pick to be able to throw at whatever talent you want, whether it's a running back <laughs> or, you know, a top quality player in another position. You're in a better position than you would be now which is, okay, we've got a great running back who's made zero difference to our win-loss total. Right. And now we need to find a quarterback with the sixth overall pick in the draft in a bad quarterback draft. So primary cause of death. Eli. Eli. No. Primary cause of death, picking the running back. Oh, man. No, because that, that wouldn't have killed him for this year. Don't look at it through a one-year lens. Because like you just said, if they had picked Sam Darnold, they're still probably a five-win team. So the primary cause of death right, for this year enough. is not the running back. Fair enough. Okay, quarterback. The, Eli the lack of a quarterback. Number two is the defense. Is and the defense or the offensive line? Because they're pretty terrible. I, I just think the defense doesn't, doesn't give them a shot against good teams week in, week out. We're two years removed from the defense really overachieving. Janoris Jenkins is playing great. Landon Collins, defensive player of the year candidate. And... You know, you just you don't have the same. We went into the season saying, "Who's rushing the passer?" It's Olivier Vernon and no one. Yeah, that's what it was. B.J. Hill had a nice little rookie season. How come the Giants can't find linebackers? They don't try. They don't try. Okay, they tried. They they found. Uh, they tried with Alec Ogletree. Yeah. They got outside of one random <laughs> spectacular game where they saved him from trying to cover Tariq Cohen. They yeah. got what they paid for. Yeah. With with Alec Ogletree, a guy that's graded well below average the entire his entire career. B.J. Goodson's flashed a little bit, but I, I just think the pass rush you don't have a good secondary. Connor Barwin got and the pass rush wasn't snaps this season for them. Yeah, still going. I mean, Lorenzo Carter was always a project in the third round. Expectations couldn't have been too high for him. Dalvin Tomlinson up front on the D line is what he is. He's a run stopper. He continued to do that well. Doesn't rush the passer. They traded big snacks. Um, they just don't rush the passer well, and they don't have enough guys that consistently cover on the back end. I mean, as much as we were people were trying to get us to eat crow on our uh, Janoris Jenkins analysis a couple years ago, where we said, "Ah, eh, you know, that's a risky signing." Back in 2016, he was awesome in 2016, right? And he's just gone back to being, you know, a mid, mid- mediocre corner, which is valuable in the NFL, but you know, it, it leads to some some ups and downs, right? Right. That season was a complete outlier in his overall career and by far the best season of his career. But that's my point. The whole 2016 Giants season yeah, yeah. was an outlier. If you average out the four seasons four seasons with the Rams, um, his passer rating was like 100. He gave up basically five touchdowns a year, uh, gave up you know 60-odd percent completion rate into his coverage and 700 and something 750 say yards right yep the 2016 season where he's so spectacular completion percentage dropped 15 percent to 50 which is pretty spectacular um his touchdowns he still gave up three but that's still two three less than he gave up otherwise and his passer rating allowed dropped 40 points to 65 this season uh 66 percent completion rate 788 yards which i think is a career high yep uh, seven touchdowns, also a career high, and a pass rating of 109. So actually, he swung right back to the player he always was and corner, with the Rams. Cornerback play is very inconsistent, so banking on that. Did you keep a list of these people that were mocking us so we can go back and mock them? Mock I've the mockers? Only, I, I kept all the people that mocked us about Baker Mayfield, and I made sure to go. You didn't do it for Janoris? 
We can we could do a little search. We'll do a little Twitter okay. search. Perfect. PFF sucks. Janoris Jenkins. Yes. We could do like search like that Perfect. or whatever it is. Um, so secondary cause of death is the defense. I'm going to say the back. You know the back seven. Okay. Spe- specific uh, the whole defense because they couldn't rush the passer. They defense, couldn't, cut, they couldn't yeah. do anything. Basically, it's Vernon and nobody else. And then the offensive line um, was bad. Nate Solder. It's they paid bad. him a ton of money to be mid-tier average. Can I claim victory on that one? You no, this were is trying like, to convince me that was a good move, and he was actually a good player. This is you, this would be this is the same exact thing as the Kirk Cousins argument: <laughs> supply and demand to get back to get average, supply and demand to become average. Okay. He was an average. He was an average mid-tier left tackle. That's what he was. We, I think, are stretching the definition of average if okay. we're throwing Nate Solder. Will in Hernandez, average as a rookie, which is encouraging. When yes. you have, there are guards. As if guards look average mid-tier in the first year, that's a good sign. They'll, they generally progress pretty well, that position. Chad Wheeler was a disaster. Spencer Pulley struggled. Jamon Brown struggled. Every, Patrick Omame, everybody. I mean, they got rid of Eric Flowers early. Everybody else struggled badly in pass protection this year. Yeah. One of the worst pass blocking grades in the NFL as a team. Mm-hmm. Did you get a Solder ranking? I saw you trying to look it up. No, but he gave up seven sacks. That's a terrible way to evaluate offensive line. That's the only way anybody knows, Steve. He gave up seven sacks, so he was bad. Therefore, the he end. was bad. Do you know that Colton Miller gave up 16 sacks as a rookie? I do. It's not a great stat to use, but it's kind of a fun one sometimes <laughs> when it's really, really bad. We're uh, sold in our rankings just before the... 16 sacks for Colton Miller. Number, four, uh, 12 for Julian Davenport. Sold as the number 27 pass-blocking tackle. Wow, now, it's not, that's not worth the money, but it's the same thing as... It's the same, 20, 21 overall. Well, here's it's the, the question. same thing as Kirk so Cousins. So here's where I think it would be different to Kirk Cousins. Would the Giants have expected better than the 21st, 27th, rather, ranked pass-blocking tackle? Probably. There but, you go. There's but the there's difference. honestly, there's very little in his history that should make you expect him to be better than Tyron Smith and Dwayne Brown and Joe Saley and Ryan Ramchak and all these guys that are ahead of him. His run blocking fell off a cliff. You That's, were, your argument to me was that he's an average pass-blocking left tackle, yeah. but a really good run blocker, and therefore he's a dramatic upgrade over Eric Flowers, which is probably true. He was a dramatic upgrade over Eric Flowers. <laughs> and he it's, absolutely And was. it's a good signing for them. I put it to you, Stephen, that with seven sacks surrendered, a below-average pass-blocking grade, and a, massive upgrade a run over blocking, Flowers. and a run-blocking grade that fell off a cliff, he was a bad move. Didn't work. It's still early. <laughs> it's still early. All right, we've done a lot of podcasting so far. Let's um, a lot of uh, what you, are we let's doing? do more eulogies on YouTube this week. Okay, you want to do, do that? that? Yeah, I so like if these. your team. Primary cause of death, secondary cause of death, tertiary cause of death. Okay, I, I like work. Just like a quick season recap, what went wrong? Um, we'll do more on YouTube this week. So if you didn't hear your favorite teams eulogy, check out the YouTube channel. Uh, search PFF. Um, which is growing a lot. We appreciate everybody. If you guys haven't subscribed, if you're on the podcast, go subscribe to the PFF YouTube channel. We put out about 20 to 30 videos per week of content, so you can hear hear us nonstop. Should we talk about some of the yesterday, like rapid fire yesterday's games? Well, hang on. How out? about so? Forget about the games because no, we, don't, we don't care about the games. Yeah, well, who cares? What about the coaching vacancies? Right? What's the best job? Oh, Marvin Lewis just got fired. By the way, did he? Breaking news. Wow. Marvin Lewis. I don't know if I want to say fired. There was probably some mutual, mutual agreement. Yeah, mutual, right? uh, Marvin ways. Lewis is out in Cincinnati. Okay. So my question is, what is the best coaching vacancy that's opening up? 
Browns. The Browns? Browns and Packers. Browns and Packers. Just because the quarterback. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Because you got Rodgers, what's he, 36 or whatever he is? He's our age. Um, wow. Aaron Rodgers. That's, that's depressing. Isn't that... <laughs> when you hit the age where, like, athletes are aging, and it's like, oh, this guy's at the end of his career, and you're like, oh, he's my age. I'm more concerned by the fact that his career earnings are, you know, <laughs> in the nine digits, and ours are not. Do you I mean, I don't know like, about you. I don't know what deal you've got at PFF, but I don't have a nine-figure deal here. Ooh, you should probably renegotiate. Yeah. There's a lot of money being thrown around okay. over here at PFF. I feel good. I don't feel intimidated by Aaron Rodgers. You you're in a contract year, right? You're back I am in a contract in. year. My contract does expire in, uh, in late March. So I'll be in. Uh, yeah. Is that? That's not him. You're going to cash right in. I'll be negotiating. So this is where you, you, you make the Aaron Rodgers money? I think this is it. Okay. Yeah. I, unless I get franchise tagged. Yeah. That's franchise tag right. season. And you've got to play it out on. We'll see what Hornsby does. On a one-year. Collinsworth. One-year guarantee. I got my agent working on working with Collinsworth and Hornsby trying to. Uh, I, I want the long-term deal. I want to be here at Of PFF. course. Who doesn't? But, um, but look, you've got to pay market rate. Like better than market rate. Like QB money is what I'm looking for. QB money. I would take long snapper money. Not going to lie. <laughs> I would take long snapper money. Good long snapper money. As long as it's not PFF money. I want long snapper money. Okay. I want that next tier. I um, think at the very minimum, you want like mid-tier kicker money. Ooh, that's a lot of money. That's right? seven figures. A couple of mil a year. Yeah. That, that'd be pretty good. i just work a couple of years and then sail off into the sunset. Right. I would definitely mail it in. You said. So you said yesterday in the office, <laughs> I love your radical candor. <laughs> if you got the big contract, you yeah. definitely would mail it in. Because you're watching Cousins screaming at Adam Thielen like, come on, man, you know, run the right route, right? His yeah. motivational speeches. Uh-huh. And you're like, to be fair, he cares. Right. He's making $84 million guaranteed no matter what he does. Yeah. And you were like, man, if I was making that money, I would cash out. I would be a bad employee. Right. I mean, if I, if I got an $84 million guaranteed deal, I would not be working hard. <laughs> Just, I, would, I would mail it the hell in for the Note rest of that, that deal. Note that to our bosses. Motivate, Sonny, motivate Sam with money. But not, a, not too but much. not too much. Yeah. But don't give him too much. The $84 million, I would just check out. I would be done. See, I'm the other way. If you gave me $84 million, I would You'd want be chasing to justify 100? that. No, I would want to justify it. I would want oh. to prove that your decision to pay me was it's, a good it's not so I would much, work harder. It's the guarantee that would get me, right? If you gave me an $84 million deal... But I had to earn it. That would be fine. But if, you, if it was 84 guaranteed, I would be... Just don't give you guarantees. I so mean, give you bonus, right. good bonus structure. Like, I'm you done. Think. Like, I've, I've got $84 million in the bank. Whatever happens to me, I'm good. You need a good bonus structure. Yeah. Is what I just need... For. It needs to be properly incentivized. Otherwise, hmm. I'm checking out. Well, that's fair. Again, radical candor. I appreciate it. Um, we might have to do an emergency pod or an emergency video on the open co- head coaching vacancies. We're running low on time. Nobody wants an hour and a half long podcast. No, right? no, no. I'm just, I was asking the question, which just one? The you've already answered it. You think the Browns or the Packers because... Am I missing one? That's, that's good there? Uh, I mean, Denver opened up. That's uh, awful. Tampa Bay, pretty bad. The Jets, they've got a quarterback, potentially. The Jets, but I still, I, I think... You just don't want to be in a division with Brady yeah, for the yeah, next nine for the next years. Nine to ten years. Mm. When you've got, I, I don't know that Todd. Bo- I don't know that Todd Bowles did a bad job. Is the thing that's what that's what I struggle with. Yeah. I don't know that they've he's got a, bad a lot coach. less talent than the Browns or right. the Packers. That's my issue. The Browns have talent, and the only thing that would keep you from the Browns is if you think that the ownership has some sort of curse on them and they just, they just can't <laughs> that they just can't win. We have Tyler over here as Browns fans. Like, ah, I don't know, maybe. 
But you got Baker and you have talent on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Right? You have something to build around. Green Bay, not, you've got an extra first-round pick this year. You've got the youth that they added in the secondary. You've got Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari. You've got some pillars to build around there. Dolphins, Cardinals. No Cardinals. Oh, no. gosh. Bengals. That's basically it, I think. Bengals are an interesting one now because they probably move on from Dalton, right? Next coach comes in. I mean, they move yeah, on from place. Dalton. Dalton goes down to Jacksonville. I'm, we gotta, we're going to have to have a whole QB carousel. I can't, I can't deal. You just, you, your entire mind is just like sending quarterbacks from one team to the That's next. That's what the offseason is going to be. I think Dalton's going to move somewhere. Jameis could move somewhere. Do the Raiders really believe in Derek Carr? I want to see Darren how many Carr teams. Believes in Derek Carr, I want to see how many teams you can structure in a player for player straight swap. Where right, it's we'll just go, like we'll go map it's it like out. a twelve team trade where Steve just sends every mediocre quarterback from one team to the next. Yeah, it's great. We'll go map it out. All right, we're going to wrap it up. Listen, okay. here's the deal. Uh, Thursday, our podcast. Maybe we'll get it out early. On Thursday, we'll try to get it out earlier for everybody. We're going to preview the weekend. Okay, we'll preview Wild Card Weekend. We'll give you our playoff preview this week. The autopsy thing, I think we take them to YouTube. We'll do a few more teams and we'll hit on some of the big stories. So go okay. check them out on YouTube. We'll podcast. We'll preview next week. The other thing I need to ask the listeners: Do you guys want draft content? Do you guys want us to start our draft? Because we could. Do, I can grab Renner who's been doing a lot of work on the draft, get him in here for 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes on Thursday, and we can just do a little, just start laying the groundwork for some draft content. So I want the feedback on that, either YouTube comments or on Twitter, if you guys are listening to the pod. Let us know if you guys want us to start moving forward to the draft, because eventually we're going to be doing that. At least once a week, one of the podcasts will be dedicated to the NFL draft. That all sound good? Yeah, sounds excellent. Anything else you want to hit? No, I'm good. All right, guys, if you guys want all the grades and stats, go grab PFF Elite. It's over at profootballfocus.com. Please, when you subscribe, you get 365 days of access, so you'll have it for, the entire, you'll have it for next season. You just, just get in early. Just have it, right? You have all the grades and stats, so you know what's happening for free agency. You get the draft guide for the draft, and then you have it for the entire season. Yeah, free year. agency is a really useful time to have premium stats because, obviously, your team's going to bring in a bunch of people, or at least some people, and you'll have all their... Great. You'll have grades, stats, history on all these players. It's, uh, yeah, it's a great time to get in. So everyone thinks that you know, the, se- the NFL season's finished. I'm done. I don't need premium stats anymore. Actually, free agency is where we get the biggest spike in like, usership. Yeah, it's great. So is usership a word? It is now. Excellent. Let's wrap it up. All right, guys. We'll see you on Thursday. Thanks to everybody for uh, tuning in. quick break to tell you guys about nfl game pass the only way that you can replay every game all season long you can relive all the gutsy calls crazy catches wild comebacks and breakout stars from every game every week it's all the action all the football you can handle all in one place so every game that we're talking about right now you guys can rewatch it after the fact i'm gonna be going back and you guys can too go check out lamar jackson in week one go check out dak prescott and what that cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long 
to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save $25. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831.20.